0: Welcome, and thanks for joining us for another sermon from True Vine Baptist Church and Pastor Josh LaGrange. This week, Pastor Josh continues his series covering the book of Romans and presents the truths in Romans 1, verses 16 and 17. You can join us by turning in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1 as Pastor Josh delivers his sermon titled, Not Ashamed of the Gospel, Part 2.
1: Let's turn our attention uh, to the Word. Back in Romans chapter one, looking at verses sixteen and seventeen together. Let's let's read the text. Um, just just a little bit of a reminder. We've divided this into six parts. We've made our way through three today. Lord willing, I've I've given myself a cutoff point today. <laughs> if we make it to a certain point, uh, we intend to make it through the rest of the points four, five, and six today. We'll see how it goes. Um, but let's let's begin reading. In verse 16, and then we'll pray. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written. But the righteous men shall live by faith. Um, Please join with me and let's ask for God's help. Oh Lord our God, um, we're your people, we're your sheep, and Father we're coming to you uh, for our spiritual food. Thank you for the worship we've already had. We ask your grace now, oh God, um, in this part that is the climax and the center of our worship as we look to your word for instruction. God, we ask now, give us all of the grace and all of the help that we are going to need. Lord, we confess if you do not help, if you do not work supernaturally, there is no good that will come and we long for good. We long for fruit in our lives. God, we long to be in deeper subjection to you. We long to love you more. God, we long to worship you with a, a higher, greater kind of worship. We long to glory in you And so, Father, for that to happen, we need to see things. We need to be changed. We need to be transformed. And so, God, we're trusting your promises that your word is powerful, looking to you and asking, oh, God, accomplish your good purposes. Please make this a a time of just great fruit. And, God, there's so many things that could come that would hinder that fruit. And so I just pray, God, for a time of protection. Help me to preach and all the hundreds of ways. I need your grace. And Father, help us to hear, to heed. And, and Lord, I want to specifically pray that we will rejoice in the gospel. We will rejoice in what you've done and see, um, see with a greater clarity, uh, Lord, than we ever have. So please, God, bless this time. Give us your help. We ask these things through Christ. Amen. Starting this morning, here's something that the book of Romans is going to begin to do. God is going to show you how he has saved you who are in Christ. So we've been looking at if you are in Christ, if you have turned from your sins, embraced Christ by faith, you are forgiven of your sins, you're counted as righteous, you're adopted into the family, etc., etc., onto the dozens and dozens of graces that God has given but what Romans, and, and a few other places, but Romans especially does is it's kind of like it opens up the hood and shows you, here's how it's all working. All right, so you know you're saved. What does that mean? How did it happen? What needed to take place? You, you do understand God could have accomplished what was needed in the death of Christ and, and the dozens of details, and, and I'm going to say, complex details that are involved in that, it all could have been done and we weren't told about it. God could have just come to us and said, hey, I made a way for you to be forgiven. Not going to tell you how, just trust me, you'll be saved. But that's not what God did. He's displayed it, displayed it publicly, and he wrote a book about it. He wrote a book about it and intends us to know it. And God is opening up the hood and showing us, here's what had to happen. Here's here's the complex things about our hearts and God's righteousness and forgiveness and blood and sacrifice and and all of these things. The book of Romans opens this up. Now, as I say that, there's a way of thinking that thinks this. And sometimes it gets verbalized. Sometimes people will say things like, Oh, theology? Oh, are you serious? Pastor, you, you don't understand. That's, that's, not my, that's not me. You know, I, I don't really need to know all that deep stuff. I don't, I'm glad I'm saved, but I don't really care how it happened. Right. I, I want you to see what an offense and insult that is to God. I want you to pretend one of my daughters was babysitting one night. And in the course of the evening, something disastrous happened. And my daughter saved a child's life, but she died in doing it. And then let's say, you know, I won't give you any more details. You don't know how it happened. You just know she died to save another child's life. Let's say that someone found out about her story and, and wrote a biography. Wrote a biography on her, talked about her life, went through these things, and then climaxed in how she saved this child's life. It became a bestseller in the world, like the Bible. And then one day, I I encountered the parent of the child my daughter saved, and I said, hey, what would you think of the biography? And let's pretend that parent said all of those things that sometimes people say about theology and the things of the Bible. Eh, I don't really care how it happened. Just glad it happened. At that point, I want to punch somebody. Because that is insulting. My, my daughter died saved save your kid's life. You're going to tell me you don't care? The son of God bore the weight of the wrath of your sins, Christian. If you rejoice in that, you want to know everything that you can. You want to know all about God's mercy. You want to know all about the details. You want to see it all. And I'm serious. I do have to question the faith of someone who says, I'm a Christian, but I don't care about the truths of the scriptures. One of the ways that the New Testament describes believers is that we are those who have received a love of the truth, a love of of the truth. If you love God, you're going to love his word. If you rejoice in your salvation, you're going to want to know these things. God has given us a book. He has spoken from heaven and revealed himself in words, words, a book. We are to study them and to know him in these things. And I think it's a helpful day to bring that up. Because the book of Romans is going to have some places that are going to challenge you maybe more than you've ever been challenged in your Bible study, okay? Now, we have often said that the Bible presents truth and especially the most important truths, the most critical truths, presents them in a way that an eight-year-old can hear truths of the Scripture and be saved, But God has also given us truth that is meant to be a challenge, and you gotta beat your head against the Bible to understand some things to the most brilliant minds who have ever lived, okay? Augustines and C.S. Lewis's of history have had to beat their heads against the scripture and reach and stretch and go hard to understand parts of the Bible. And I'm going to tell you that certain parts of the Bible and the book of Romans is this. There is a very complex building of a logical argument. So sometimes people think of the Bible like every verse stands alone. You know, like put any verse on a coffee mug. Okay, That's not how the Bible is laid out. There are some parts of that. Okay, But there are some verses in the Bible, if you just picked out that one verse you would actually come to the exact opposite conclusion of what the greater paragraph is saying. Romans has some of those places. Romans has a few verses. If you read only the verse, you'll come to the opposite conclusion of what the whole paragraph is saying. There is an argument that is built. High level logic. You're going to be stretched. Okay. These past couple weeks, I've been beating my head against the text to, to see some of the use of certain words and things. I'm going to bring you along and show you some of those today in this. And even if you're kind of thinking, I don't like abstract thinking. If you're going to know the Bible, you got to. And this is part of what it means to love God with your mind. You hear me? Love God with your mind. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. Part of what it means to love God with your mind is to work hard at places of understanding things. This is how God chose to reveal this. And so we're going to work through, we're going to work through these these things. But let me tell you this, in the whole of the study of Romans, you're going to have to come and engage and be an active listener. Like God wants that every Sunday, Okay? It, one of the reasons it's good for me to you know, be out of the pulpit for a Sunday, I was reminded last Sunday, it is hard to sit for 45 minutes and stay engaged the whole time. I, I get that, okay? So I, I know sometimes it is a difficult thing to like stay tuned in the whole time, but I am telling you to follow some of the logic that is used here, we're going to have to go deep. We're, we're going to have to think through things. And today, there's kind of an introduction into some of those hard things. So. There is kind of the introduction for today and what we're going to look at. Today we're ready for points four, five, and six in the outline walking through this text here. So number four, looking at verse 16, the last part of verse 16, we're going to word it like this at first. The gospel is for all. So if you're taking notes, point number four of the outline is the gospel is for all. Look at, look, look at verse 16 again. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, let me, let me kind of go just a little bit backwards here than what we normally do things. Let me, let me jump to the application first, and then I want to, I want to back us up and, and tell you why it is here in the book of Romans. So here's some of the obvious application from this. The gospel is necessary for every soul on the planet, and the gospel is effective to save every soul who believes. Okay, so from every background, from every worldview, every former religious idea, every color of skin, every language, every ethnicity, every tax bracket, every every sin. Do you have some sins in your mind that if you think, you know, somebody did that, there's no way forgiveness can come to them. From every sin, the gospel is effective to save. Now, I I do want you to notice this. This passage is sometimes twisted places like it, you know, and sometimes groups will say some things like this and, and, and they'll sort of leave out parts and they'll say this. See, it doesn't matter who you are. Jesus accepts you. Is that what the text is saying? No, what scripture is saying is everyone who believes, everyone who receives Christ, everyone who embraces Christ has salvation. Okay, pastor, so what of the practicing adulterer? If he believes, is that enough to save him? The answer is, unequivocally, No. Scripture goes on to show that truly receiving Christ means there is a turning from rebellion against him. That's not true faith. That's not true saving faith. The uh, uh, habitual serial adulterer who embraces Christ and leaves the sin, redemption in an instant. And from all other sins as well. But there has to be the receiving and embracing of Christ. So the gospel is necessary for all. And the gospel is effective to save all who believe. So that's an application. But let me back up now a little bit and tell you why it's here in the premise to this book. We saw whenever we did our walk through the Old Testament. We saw the storyline of the history of this world. All the peoples of the earth left God. There were sporadic individuals who would know God and seek God. God always has a remnant. God always has a people that he keeps for himself for his own delight. But out of the nations of the earth, the nations left God. We saw that to bring about God's plan to save a kingdom of people, God came to one man, Abraham told him, I will make you into a great nation, and then I'm going to turn you into a father of a multitude of nations. And from Abraham, God raised up a nation, a kingdom of people. And from that people, God chose to do special things in them. God chose to reveal himself to them in a way that he had not revealed himself to other peoples. And God chose to give them this gift that they would get to be the people who were a blessing to the rest of the earth. They would get to be the people that the Messiah came from. Salvation would go to the ends of the earth from this people. But here's one of the things that happened. In a large way, not by every individual, but by the masses, it went to their heads and they became arrogant. They developed that Chosen people of God syndrome. And there's evidence for this all through the scriptures. We see it all through the prophets. Do you remember the account of Jonah? You know, everybody always remembers the part about him being thrown in the sea and swallowed up. That's not the point of the book. The point of the book is about the gospel. Do you remember why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh? It wasn't because he was scared. He tells God why he didn't want to go. He did not want that people to hear the message and repent and be saved. That's cold. That's, a, that's, an, ego, that's an egocentric kind of way of seeing all of this. There's a little bit of this of we're the special people. I don't want other people to have this. Uh, our Wednesday night crew, uh, as we're studying through the book of Acts, we're going to see a section where a riot breaks out in the temple. When Paul makes the statement that God is planning to save Gentiles, they lose their minds. They throw dirt in the air, throw their cloaks off and ready to kill him. A riot over the statement that God intends to save Gentiles. In the book of Acts, we saw an actual debate between Christians where they debated this question. Can a Gentile really be saved? The fact they had that debate shows there were some real misunderstandings about God's intentions. Can a Gentile really be saved? I thought this was just for us. And so think about this. There's a great deal of misunderstanding. Think about a Jewish man who came to faith in Christ and he's got a lot of this background in his life. He comes to faith in Christ and he doesn't understand how all of this works. He might have questions like, hey, I thought, had, I thought God had just had a special plan for us. If it's the case that Gentiles can be saved, and man, it sure looks like a whole bunch of them are, what does that mean about the promises that were made to us? Is that just out the window? The book of Romans is going to have a major section. Listen to me. Chapters 9, 10, and 11. Three chapters are going to address the complexities of these kinds of questions, of of how we are to see these things. And Paul includes it in his explanation of the gospel. And so there's going to be a lot there when we get into it. And so what he does here at the very intro in the premise, one of the things he just lays out there is this explanation, the gospel is for everyone. The gospel is for Jew and Greek, everyone who believes has this righteousness of God and eternal life. And so just to further apply this, if there is a person on this planet that you think could not be saved, you are underestimating the power of the gospel. If there is a single sin that in your minds you think that guy, no, 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 not if you do this, you are underestimating the effective power of the blood of Christ. And if there is a single skeptic atheist antagonist on this planet that you think that guy couldn't be saved, a Richard Dawkins, a Bill Mayer, and you think, no way, that couldn't, you are underestimating the power of the gospel to smack people and wake them up. He did it to you and me. The gospel is effective. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. Listen to me, God has been pleased in history to save some people that everybody thought couldn't be saved because he likes to show that kind of thing. God has been pleased to save some C.S. Lewis's who were atheists. God has been pleased to save some Lee Strobel's who were atheists and set out to disprove the scriptures and through doing it came to faith in Christ. And God is also pleased to leave some in their hardness of heart to display his judgment. All right, so that's point number four. Here's number five. The righteousness from God is revealed. All right, this is where some of the complexities of this passage begin. In verse 16, there really wasn't anything that was difficult. But first, verse 17 has three phrases. Every one of them have something about it that is kind of difficult. Now, to set your mind at ease, though, um, the rest of the book is going to be the explanation and fleshing out of of what is here in this premise, okay? So even though there are some difficulties, what we can do is later we can read through and see God's explanation here. So just like Jesus when he would tell parables um, and then he would follow it up with the explanation of the parable, we don't have to guess what is meant. The book of Romans lays out this premise, The rest of the book is the fleshing out of that premise that is there. And so we begin to walk through this. Here's here's the first phrase that is in verse 17, and there's some difficulty of. So the first phrase says, for in it, what's the it? It's the gospel. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Now here's the first kind of challenge, there are two ways that we can read this, and both would kind of make sense, and both of them are true statements. So, which of them is meant? The first way of reading this is you, you, you can read this, and your mind just sort of immediately think that what is being spoken here of God's righteousness is God's character. God is righteous, and the gospel reveals that God is righteous which is a true statement. The gospel does do that. The question is not, is it true? The question is, which of these is God meaning? But here's, here's the second way. See, Greek, just like English, has some intricacies. You know, there are some ways that we can say a statement in English and we need some more explanation to, to show what it is that we mean. Greek's the same way. Greek has some weird word orders and some things like this that take place. The phrase, the righteousness of God, this is a possessive noun. And so it could also be translated uh, as the NIV does, that this is uh, God's righteousness or the righteousness from God. And it could be talking about not God's character, but a righteousness that God gives. So there's a righteousness that God possesses and he gives it to others. All right, stay with me. No eyes glazing over here, okay? This is some of the technical stuff, but this is good. I promise you at the end, you're gonna, you're gonna have to contain yourself from screaming glory, okay? But you gotta, you gotta track with me here. Marcus, it feels like 175 degrees in here. Would you care to turn the air down, just one note? I don't want anybody going to sleep. I'd rather you freeze and stay awake, okay? All right. So here's the deal. Tracking with this here, what this could be saying is there's a righteousness that is from God. You need righteousness. You cannot be right with God if you are not righteous. You track, tracking? You're not right with God if you do not have righteousness. Your sins and my sins have made us unrighteous. But God has made a way for you to become righteous, to be counted as righteous, to be regarded, to be treated as righteous. There's a righteousness that is a gift from God that he gives to others. And so those are the two ways to read this. So which one is meant here? Well, let's look at a couple passages to help us. Jump to Romans 3 for a moment. So this is the passage that has some of the explanation. Find verse 21. Let's read some things. All right. Romans 3, 21. Here we go. But now apart from the law, that's, that's the law of God, law of Moses, the Old Testament, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested. It's been revealed. It's been shown, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Now watch this. Even the righteousness of God, same Greek phrase, through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction. What is the righteousness of God there referring to? It's a righteousness that is given. It's not talking about God's character there. It's the righteousness that is given. So it's solved, right? Everything's easy? Not so fast. Christian, keep reading. Jump down to verse 25 and look at this part. The first part of verse 25 is saying this. God displayed Jesus publicly as a propitiation. Now, when we get there, going to be a big old study on propitiation. Okay, Going to be in-depth looking at That Jesus' blood, the giving of his life was a substitute on our behalf to satisfy the wrath of God that you and I were owed. So that's, that's some of the meaning behind propitiation. And what it is saying is God showed this sacrifice publicly. He didn't do it secretly. He didn't do it back in a corner somewhere and then not tell anybody about it and then just say, Hey, I found a way to redeem you guys. Not going to tell you how. Just trust me, you'll be saved. No, no, no. He displayed Jesus publicly. And the history of this world has been that of declaring the sacrifice of Christ and all the nations will hear. God has made it public. Why did he make it public? Keep reading verse 25. This was to demonstrate his righteousness. That's talking about the character of God. Because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstra- demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be, there's a phrase you need burned in your brains and you need to love it. He would be just and the justifier. And here's one of the intricacies of English. I wish we hadn't done it this way, but it's a reality. In the Greek, this, the word for just is the word for righteous. God would be righteous and the righteous of fire. But we don't have an English word righteous of fire. We've only got the word justification, justified, justifier. So we got to go with that. God is righteous and he's the one who makes righteous. That's declaring both. And it's declaring the character of God is shown. God did, God worked the plan of redemption in such a way that it would be shown for all time. He upholds his righteous character. God is righteous. He never does an unrighteous thing. God is not going to fudge on justice. He's not going to wink at sin. He's not going to sweep it under a, uh, under a rug. He is going to execute justice. But he, he designed a way, made a way, that this could be shown in the death of Christ. So... That means that in the same passage, we have both of these referenced, which makes it difficult. There is a view on this that it means both of them. Boy, that'd be convenient if it just meant both of them. That's possible. The more I study it, the more I'm kind of like, I like it. Just don't know if I can believe that's what is being said in verse 17. So I I am leaning the direction here. And here's what I'm going to tell you. I believe that Romans 1, 17 is saying is that it is speaking of the righteousness that is from God and given to the sinner who believes. And let me give you three reasons why I believe that. Three reasons. Number one, I think the immediate context of verse 17, that meaning makes the most sense. So if you read verse 17, Romans 1, 17, again, if this was displaying the character of God, the rest of what he says wouldn't make his most sense. Okay. How do you become, how does the righteous man become righteous and get life? By the giving of this righteousness, okay? Secondly, look at the very next verse, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed. That's the same language, Same language as the righteousness of God is revealed. Verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed. And what does it mean that the wrath of God is revealed? Well, yes, God has wrath in his character, just and holy and righteous wrath, but it is a wrath that is being given. It is a wrath that is going to be poured out on the wicked. So that leads me to believe that in the previous verse, when it says the righteousness of God is revealed, that it is a righteousness that is given. And then the third reason I think is the most compelling, and that is this. The rest of the book. In the rest of the book, the righteousness that God gives is the heart of the whole book. All of chapter 3, half of chapter 4, it will come up in chapter 5. It will be mentioned in chapters 6, 7, 8, It's referenced at least once in chapter 9 and the very first part of chapter 10. This is the subject. This is the heart of the book that we understand how we have been made right with God. There's a righteousness that God gives. You and I did not earn it. It is given as a gift. That's the heart of the book. So for that reason, I believe verse 17 is referring to that. Let's look at a couple passages to sort of see this, okay? If you're still with me, jump to chapter 9 of Romans. Chapter 9, find verse 30. Romans 9, 30. What shall we say then that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness, even the righteousness which is by faith? This is talking about a gift that is given. Chapter 10, look at verse 3. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own. This is talking about those who try to get righteous by their own deeds, by their own works. They establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God same kind of language that is here the giving and just to show you that this is not just one book that this really is all throughout the scriptures um, jump to Philippians for a moment Philippians chapter 3 uh, Philippians chapter 3 find verses 8 and 9 I'm going to read verse 8 for context but the main meat is in verse 9 so follow along with me verse 8 awesome Philippians 3 8, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. And watch this and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God. On the basis of faith. That is what is being taught throughout Romans. A righteousness that is given. So, now that you have followed the complexities, thank you for that. Now, let me briefly explain what this means. We're going to see this book teach that according to strict justice, if we were talking only law, the only way to be righteous before God is to be blameless. Blameless in every regard to every phrase of scripture. Listen to me very carefully. In God's character, he is not a God of moral mediocrity. He does not accept moral mediocrity. His standard for us is complete blamelessness. God shows us that no law-breaking whatsoever is acceptable in his eyes. He has no fellowship with what is unrighteous. He cannot embrace what is unrighteous. There is no unrighteousness going to be allowed into heaven right now. There is no unrighteousness that is going to be allowed into the coming kingdom of God. One sin was enough to condemn Adam and Eve. One sin was enough to plunge all of mankind into ruin. One violation would be enough that in God's eyes, you and I are unrighteous. We were created righteous, we were given the capacity for righteousness. And God communicated His standard righteousness. God communicated in the garden to mankind at the beginning one break. One break and you invite the death penalty. God's expectation is righteousness and he is serious about it. So the the bad news is obvious. You and I have broken many more than just one law of God. So here's what that means. According to strict justice, if we're only talking law, if this were the only way we could be right with God, we have already blown that. The ship has already sailed for that. God will have no fellowship with unrighteousness. You have been excommunicated from fellowship with God. You have been excommunicated from heaven. You have been excommunicated from the coming kingdom. But the good news of the gospel is this. God designed and then executed a plan whereby those who are unrighteous because of the law can be made righteous another way. So in other words, he's made another way to be put right with him. So it's kind of like this. Let's say that a member of the mob was arrested. There's clear evidence Certain conviction that is coming. But then let's say that the FBI comes in the room and offers the man a deal. If you do this thing we're asking, if you become an informant, if you help us take down this organization, then we will pardon your crimes and there will be no conviction. So the man takes the deal. Now now listen to me, according to strict law, he was not on the right side of the law, he had a punishment coming not a nice guy, but because a higher authority had the authority to make a deal, they designed another way for the man to come to the right side of the law. A different plan, not law, allowed him to be made right. Not in the right in the eyes of God, but right in the eyes of the law of men. He wasn't a good guy. He's not a law-keeping guy. But they chose to erase those deeds to make a deal where he would be regarded as a law-abiding citizen. He would be treated as a law-abiding citizen. And the punishment that was coming to him would be averted. Another deal. But even as I give that illustration, I don't like it. It bothers me. Because here's what that means. That means this bad guy hurt people and there's no justice. There will be no justice. He cheated people, he hurt people, and nothing will be done about it. Those who were wronged will have no satisfaction of the justice. But listen to me, in the plan that God devised, justice is executed. But what the design of the gospel is, is that Jesus stepped in front of us and took the justice that you and I were owed. The arrow of God's wrath was fired. But what happened on the cross was that Jesus stepped in front of you and I and he took the arrow in himself. And in fact, the arrow for the justice of all of the wrath of all Christians, it was all unleashed. It was all fired onto Christ at the cross. Every arrow for all of my stupidity, all of my ridiculousness, all of my law breaking. It was all unleashed for every Christian who would turn to him. And Christ took all of that wrath on himself so that in him you and I can be made the righteousness of God. So that we can be counted as innocent, treated as innocent and escape the judgment that is due. In God's plan, justice is executed and we are pardoned. He is righteous and the righteous of fire. He is just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. If you hear that and you're not happy about it, probably the wrong church for you. If you hear that and you don't want to fall on your face in gratitude, slap yourself a little bit. Let me show you this one other place. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. I just want to kind of help you see how all the Bible ties together, how how this is spoken of so often. 2 Corinthians five, twenty-one, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now, that was a lot of Following argument and looking at some different things, but here, here's something else I want to show you about the Bible that's awesome. If you're a missionary and you go uh, to a tribe in Africa that doesn't go to school and doesn't study language, how are you going to teach them those kinds of things? Well, I think you do work to get there. You don't just ignore that kind of stuff, but I do want to show you this. God has made some of the concepts available and accessible To eight-year-olds and even those who don't read, listen to John 5, 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who has sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. There's God making many of these truths accessible to the eight-year-olds, even though it is deeper And there's more that is taught there. And God wants us to go deep in seeing what he has brought about. All right. So that was number five. Here's last one, number six. And I'll be brief here. From faith to faith. Jump back to Romans 1 with me. Please uh, read our verse 17 again. So for, for in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. The gospel reveals this righteousness that God gives. And, and even though there's a little bit of difficulty with the phrase, here is what is really obvious to see. We are shown we receive this righteousness by faith. In the midst of some fogginess, don't miss the main point. We receive this by faith. A little bit of the difficulty comes in what does this mean from faith to faith? Uh, out of faith, into faith, from faith, for faith. I wish I could tell you that all through history, all the great theologians and scholars all agree that this is the one way of seeing it. Ain't how it goes. All of those dead guys you love, they all saw this a little bit differently. And so this has been seen from some things. There are some who believe that this is speaking of the faith of the teller of the gospel becoming the faith of the hearer of the gospel. I think I've I've got to fall down on the place here that I believe that more of what is being said here is the continuation of faith. That from first to last, your salvation comes by faith. And we are going to see this book put a huge emphasis on the continuation of faith. None of this cheap grace of say a prayer in one moment then just do whatever you want after that. No, no, no. The call to persevere in faith, the call to endure in faith from faith into faith that is here. One of the things that is helpful is in 2 Corinthians 3:18 there is a phrase phrase used of from glory to glory. It's being it's being spoken of of uh, of our sanctification of the coming into greater degrees of glory. And and so I think that that same kind of meaning would apply here from faith to faith, from start to finish, from the beginning of your faith, all the way through the building and the continuation and all the way to the end. Your salvation is by faith. And then as proof of that, Paul quotes a verse from the Old Testament. This is the third phrase, still a part of this last point. This last phrase, do you see that part there in your Bibles that it's capitalized, but the righteous men shall live by faith. Every time your Bibles have something capitalized like that, it is showing you, this is a quote from the Old Testament. This comes from Habakkuk 2.4. And here's what was going on in that passage. In the book of Habakkuk, God gave another one of these warnings to the people, a warning of judgment and telling them, The time is up that I gave you opportunities to repent and now the Chaldeans, they're coming. The Babylonians are coming and they are going to lay you low. Habakkuk cries out to God and he says, but how could we be saved? Now, he meant that in an earthly sense, but God means that as a metaphor for salvation. The Bible's all the time doing that, okay? Oh, something in the Old Testament Used in an earthly sense, it's a metaphor for the greater salvation, the greater gospel. Habakkuk cries out, then how could we live? How could I have, how could I be delivered from this judgment? And God says, faith. You trust, you believe, you'll gain your life. In the uncanny providence sovereignty of God, this is then applied to the gospel. There is a warning of judgment. There is wrath coming to you for your sins. You cry out to God, how could I be saved from this? How could I have life? Well, here is how the now righteous man, see how it connects with what we were saying there? Here is how the now righteous man will have life. It's by your faith. Your faith will gain you righteousness. And once you're right with God, now you can have life. Now you can have fellowship with God. And when there is unity and fellowship with God, you have eternal life. And that was considered scandalous when Paul preached it. And it has been scandalous in every single culture that the gospel has ever come to. Because humans always want to be right. But we always want to be right by our own doing. The pride of our hearts Wants to be right with God just because he accepts me as I am. You hear all this nonsense. I'm a good enough person. I've got a heart of gold. I've done enough good deeds. I'm religious enough. I'm this, I'm that. I help ladies across the street, blah, blah, blah. This makes me right with God. And friends, every religion of the world is a works-based religion other than Christianity. Every religion of the world is always telling you, here's how you get... Whatever their man-made religion has invented. Here's how you get the 70 virgins. Here's how you get the nirvana. Here's how you get the highest peak. It's always by your works. The gospel is the only message that gives rightness based on what someone else did in your place. A righteousness that is outside of you. It's not your own. It's a righteousness given as a gift by God. And one of the things that Paul will do numerous times is quote Old Testament scriptures to show this ain't new. This has been the case from the book of Genesis. From the day that Adam and Eve fell, another way of being right with God had to be made and God enacted it. Abraham justified by faith. It's going to be told in in chapter four. David was accepted as righteous by faith, by the forgiveness of his sins. Habakkuk says it's the prophets say it. Jesus taught it over and over again. It comes by faith. Friends, there is a righteousness that you need. Without this salvation, you are not right. And if you're hearing it for the first time, then it might be that your heart's objecting to this kind of arguing with this, because it's always been your thinking that I'm right with God. It's, it's in all of the messages out there of the world that I'm right with God, accepted with God. But here's just what I ask you to consider. If you're thinking one thing and God says another, who do you think is right? And if you're not yet convinced that this is what the Bible says, let me give you a 10-minute way to see it for yourself. This afternoon, read Romans 1, 2, and 3. Just the first three chapters of Romans. Your eternity is worth 10 minutes of your investment. Read and see. Scripture show this. And when you see that you are not righteous, you are not right with God based on your own, the only thing left to do is to cast all of your hope onto Christ To see that the only way I will have this eternal life, the only way I will be right with God is through what he has done in Christ. Embrace Christ by faith. Turn from your rebellion to God and turn from all the ways you've been trusting in yourself or your works or what Oprah told you and trust in Christ alone. Hebrews says, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation. Let me pray for us. Oh Lord, our God, thank you, thank you, thank you for what you have done in Christ. Father, I pray for all of us believers that as we meditate on these things, we will come to exult. We will come to glory. We will come to rejoice in what you have done for us. And God, I pray that that then ignites a passion to obey you, a passion to serve, a passion to use our lives um, in ways that count. Father, I pray for any in the room that have not yet trusted in Christ. Please, God, today make the truths we've looked at today haunt them into terror until they run to you. Bring them to trust in Christ, oh God. Please give us your blessing as we leave. We love you, Lord. Pray these things through Christ. Amen. God bless you all.
0: Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed Pastor Josh LaGrange's sermon titled Not Ashamed of the Gospel, Part 2. Tune in again next week as we continue through God's Word at True Vine Baptist Church. We also invite you to like our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter at TrueVineIND, or visit our website at true-vine-baptist.org.